Well, folks, what's the crack? How are you getting on? Welcome to the Best of Belfast podcast. And today we have an absolute treat for you all. I had the opportunity, an unexpected opportunity, to sit down with the one and only Bill Woolsey. Now, Bill owns a company called Bianker, and they have a massive, massive portfolio of over 40 pubs, a collection of restaurants and hotels. Most noteworthy, in my eyes anyway, would be the Merchant Hotel in Belfast, The Bullet, Little Wings, Yardbird, Dirty Onion, and so, so much more. In this conversation, we had the chance to hear Bill's thoughts on coming up with new ideas, the tension between creativity and profitability, and how he managed to juggle and manage a massive portfolio while keeping a good work-life balance and prioritizing family. If it's your first time with us, I hope that you really enjoy the chat. We like to take these conversations very, very casual, very relaxed, keep them conversational, and just see where it goes. A fair warning for some of you, if you're with kids or if it's just not your cup of tea, there are a couple of instances of adult language in this conversation. And so do we need to do these warnings anymore? Well, we're doing them anyway. So if that's not for you, this episode perhaps is one that you would rather skip. But without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce you to the one and only Bill Woolsey. Were you a footballer? Do you some sort of a history in football? Yeah, I went straight from school to um, Arsenal. Wow. Had an apprenticeship at Arsenal. I had no idea you were in the big leagues like that. Yeah, well, it wasn't that big a leave. It was a, an apprenticeship, so that's actually the third team. But uh, it didn't work out, so after a year I'd, I was finished. I, I have an illness called myasthemia gravis. Okay. And nobody knew what it was. Even I didn't know what it was, but I had a sort of catastrophic loss of form. Wow. And then it took them, you know, sort of four years to, and a couple of eye operations to understand. How old were you in your arsenal days? 15. 15. Wow, you were your lad. Yeah. And then when I was about 50, they thought it would, you know, if you reach that stage normally, it doesn't progress. Sort of mid-40s. You're like it for life, but I had a really, it came on with a vengeance. I became very ill and my weight dropped to just below eight stone. Wow. Double vision, couldn't really speak properly. It was a tough time for me and everybody associated with me. But yeah, I imagine. So my sons and other people would get the message from me and they would then take the business meetings over because I, you know, I sounded like I was drunk. Yeah. And the hospital put me on an experimental drug, a form of steroid. And it turned my whole life around. And really? I, I'm on that now, and that's why I'm here, able to talk to you. Incredible. Mm. And so, and you're playing a football match, is it this week? Tom- uh, yes, Sunday, in the, in the Hammer on the Shankle Road. Incredible. Which is funny enough, where I started playing football. Oh, what a full circle. Uh, you know, 60-odd years ago, so it's for a, ch- a kid who has cancer. So Brilliant. Well, here, I wish you all the best with that. Thank you. Ready to start, yeah? Yeah. Awesome. Mr. Bill Woolsey, thank you very much for joining us. Absolute pleasure to have you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, really appreciate it. We are overlooking the Cathedral Quarter here in the Merchant Hotel. And I mean, what an opportunity. I've been wanting to interview you for a while and I'm, I really, really am so glad that I have this opportunity. How we usually start off this show, we have kind of a stock question that we, we open up with. It's a bit of a silly one, but mm-hmm. it, it interesting to see how people react. We usually say, if you were to walk into an elevator and Liam Neeson was standing there, how would you introduce yourself? What type of conversation would you open up with on your journey up? Well, funny enough, I know Liam Neeson. Do you? I'm not surprised, <laughs> uh, but I'm jealous. Only know him through coming into this hotel with Jimmy Nesbitt. But to be perfectly honest, if I didn't, I wouldn't say anything. I'd just get out wherever I was meant to get out. But uh, 
and I've been in a club where Liam Neeson was as well prior to knowing him, and uh, I didn't feel I could talk to him, so... Uh, but I'd just probably say, hello, Liam. I'm from the same place as you are. I love that. Similar. I really love that. And for me, why I think this is going to be such an interesting conversation is because you really have been on a massive, massive journey over the course of your life. And even what we were talking about, you know, before we started, just you've, you've done so much. And I suppose what I would be interested in knowing is, what do you really identify yourself as? You know, are you a hotelier? Are you a restaurateur? Are you a publican? Are you just, you know, what are you? I think of myself as a publican. Yeah. I like the whole publican feel. It seems like uh, much more of a meritocracy. So I think of myself that, but really the company now is a hospitality company. So we're into, you know, restaurants, bars, pubs, hotels, nightclubs, so the, the we, we span every aspect of the hospitality industry. But if anyone ever asks me if I'm somewhere else and somebody says, what do you do? I say, I'm a publican. I like that. It's, it's a pretty cool word, actually. Just publican, I like it. Yeah. It's good. So so where I'd like to start is, you know, you obviously have a massive, massive portfolio. Um, do you have, is it over 40 pubs? Mm-hmm. And you have hotels, very, very Noteworthy hotels with the merchant with billet. You have restaurants. You know, there's Yardbird around the corner there, and so you have a lot of things in your portfolio. But what I w- would be interested in knowing is what does your day to day look like? Like, if you could walk us through maybe a typical day in the life of Bill Woolsey, what does that look like? Well, today, <laughs> no day is really typical. Apart, okay. from, apart from Monday, I hate Mondays because Monday we go over all the figures, uh-huh. problems. How can we solve these problems? And um, it's it, it can be a, a sort of stressful day. But today I started off eight o'clock at a wind farm um, to you know photographic session there to show how we've we've become much more energy efficient. I then met lawyers from Dublin. I then met an agent from Dublin who's offering us a site. I'm now meeting you. Um, and I have two more meetings after that, and I then go to pick up my daughter. So I'm picking her up from school, and I'm taking her up to uh, Belfast, back to Belfast, and we're doing a little bit of shopping back, and then tonight my wife and I are out. Brilliant. It's not, that's a pretty typical day. Yeah, pretty typical. Yeah. I like it, that's brilliant. And what is it that you enjoy doing the most? Out of everything that you kind of do in your in your week to week, I'm not looking for time with family because I know that would be on the, the you know the top of the priority list. But mm-hmm. in terms of a well, business some perspective, pe- some people it's not, and that's where they go absolutely awry. Well, uh, let's let's talk about that. Well, I, I know lots of people in business who um, think measure success by the money they make, and that is the road to absolutely nowhere. So I, uh, you know, now. Uh, I, I've always put my family first, and um, the you know p- people talk about a work work play a balance lifestyle. That's you know I understand that, but I've always had that. I didn't need any slogan to tell me that. I knew from my parents what was the most important thing. So I see people, you know, I've been in business for forty years, and I've seen people and, and met people who. Um, measure success in a completely wrong way and the older I get the more I believe in karma and um, 
family life is just like a business life. Whatever you put in, you, you'll get back. So, um, you know, I'm really, I'm a strong believer in that. So that, that's why I think success should not be married to, should not be, um, judged on, on commercial success. You know, a man who is a mechanic and puts food on the table or, or a woman who is a mechanic and puts food on the table of their family and, and has a lovely, a loving environment and, and sets a moral compass. That is success. That's incredible. So what would be Bill Woolsey's measurement of success? You hear people saying KPIs and North Star metrics and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. What is maybe the one thing that you track or uh, I mean, you get a general pulse of how your life's going? Yeah, I, I hear all that KPI shit. Yeah. I know, it's but annoying, we, isn't it? Having said that, we do, we do all those things in the company. Success in the business world for for myself and the people around me is... When we, 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 we've never, we either start businesses from scratch, i.e. Little Wing, where we're sitting in the Merchant Bullet Hotel, or we buy pubs that are struggling. And if you buy a struggling business and you can turn that around to give your customers an offering that says something about them, is value for money. You can employ someone and, and, help them on a path obviously they help you you know greatly that that's how i would measure success brilliant and when i i listened to an incredible interview you did with barry phillips um you know if anyone listening wants to go check that out it's just the uh, barry phillips meets if you just search that you'll find a great interview where barry really dug deep into a lot of your your history and a lot of your childhood and just as i was listening to that i was really kind of struck that your tale is it's one of resilience would you say that that's fair? What I mean by that is there seems to be key moments in your life where you know, you've been searching after something, football, for example, and then something's happened and you've had to pivot or you've had to reinvent yourself. And I suppose my question is, why have you kept going? I think a lot of people who've been, who would have been in your shoes maybe would have sat down, but it seems that you, whether it's in spite of those things or because of those things, you actually then stood up and seemed to push forward even more. What what is that all about? Well, it's probably just moving on. When if you're talking about the the football uh, experience where I became ill, um, I seem to have an ability to say, right, I am ill. Um, and this is this is serious, but but I can move on from this. It's it's. For instance, uh, the myasthemia gravis, which, which I have as an illness, it, I don't regard it as an enemy. I don't think of it as a friend, but it's changed my lifestyle, and I've got I've gone in a different direction, which I'm I'm very happy with. And similarly, in in business, when I come across a problem, now it's more we come across a problem. the The whole point of being here is to solve that problem and move on from it, and that's really the attitude that I have and and most of the people work with me have as well. Brilliant. And on the kind of theme of problem solving, I would say my environment around me as I suppose a young entrepreneur is very much tech, 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 tech and tech startups and apps. And everyone keeps talking about any any point I've been involved in business, everyone talks about problem solving. But the problems when I was younger 
it was always through a digital lens. So it was always people have a hard time managing their calendar. So someone needs to invent an app for this. Or people have a hard time with their finances. So someone needs to invent accounting software to solve that. But recently talking to people like yourself who are involved in, I suppose for lack of a better term, more traditional businesses that have been the bread and butter of society like hospitality for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of Mm -hmm. years. When you look at a new venture, you look at a new um, business that you want to open, what types of problems do you look to solve? Does that make sense? Well, if if we look at a new business, let's take Little Wing, the pizzeria. We, we looked at that business to say, can we make a better offering? Um, can we compete with the opposition? And it's that's the basis we start. And if we feel we can't add anything to a market we're about to enter, we, we don't engage. But for the little wing, it was it was simple. We looked at the opposition that they seemed to fall into three three categories. There was somebody who had redundancy and opened a pizzeria called Scarface or Capones or something. Fair play to them. There was uh, then there was a sort of uh, uh, mid market stuff. There was a um, and sort of Domino's and uh, Pizza Hut. And the, we thought they were all tragic, loaded with syrups and sugars, and it wasn't somewhere we had to go. And then we, we sort of homed in on Pizza Express, and we thought they are at the top of the market, but we we knew after doing a bit of research that they don't... We, we, we th- make all our own pizzas. We throw our own pizzas. We have traceable toppings. We have tomato sauce, specially made. We would use wood-fired ovens. Uh, we we beat them on so many levels. So it was a simple process of looking. Not so much problems. This is the opposition. Where can we enter? How can we be better? And will our, our, is there a level of sophistication from the customer's to understand what we do in Belfast is one of the youngest cities in Europe. While we have an absolutely tragic um, education system that doesn't serve people well, we have the best education as well. So a highly educated city. Um, and we we knew that if we got it right, it would be successful. Uh, I might be right here. While I was preparing for this interview today, I came across, and you can't believe everything you read, did you have any experience in Pizza Hut when you were starting off? Yeah. What was that all about? I, 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 uh, could you have done your research? Yeah, when Pizza Hut opened the very first Pizza Hut uh, in, in the UK, it was in Islington. So I, I worked for them. And then they, uh, they opened the second one in Stamford Hill, one of the biggest Orthodox Jewish areas in, in London. And I was a, an assistant manager there. And uh, I learned a lot about what not to do with pizzas <laughs> through through working for them. I I learned a lot not how not to treat people, and and I didn't like the whole uh, American approach. You you know you had to watch. Um, you you came in the back. It was pretty revolutionary at the time, but but everything about me didn't like it. You you watched a, a corporate um, video, and it was a sort of large fat man. Going through a cornfield, running his hand through corn, but like a, a Timothy advert, yeah, and saying, "I started off just like you," and I thought, "No, you fucking didn't." <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, how, how old were you at that stage? Uh, tw- twenty. In your twenties, mm-hmm. and was that your f- at the start of your hospitality yeah. adventure? Yeah, yeah. 
What got you into that? I I became a, I served an apprenticeship in printing. My my dad was very keen that I would um, get my papers, and um, the 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 printing was just a, a rerun of my school days. I hated it, mm. and I thought there's got to be more to life than this. And for no real reason, I just found out there was a hospitality course at Westminster uh, College, and I used to finish. Um, printing at five, drive across London, start this at seven, finish that at two, drive home, go to bed, and up. And the moment I sort of, I did, while I didn't like the college, um, they sent me out in block release. And the moment I get into the industry, an epiphany took place. Wow! And I became, you know, completely focused and ambitious. It was that simple. What was it about hospitality that really grabbed you? I think it was the fact that no, um, no, this, this, this doesn't and maybe doesn't portray me in a, in a, a good light but it was you know I took an order from a customer I had to be pleasant to that customer I delivered the, them the food there, there was you know recognition from that customer that I'd been efficient I just thought this is something I can do I I, I really enjoy this I enjoyed the whole environment and the camaraderie with the people I was with it was it was uh, yeah not that I have any anything on your experience, but my first kind of venture, like most people into employment, was you know at uh, fifteen being a busboy in a restaurant. Yeah, and there's something so something so unique about just the simplicity and the focus of the work. And your task may be you just have to make sure all the tables are clean. But it's incredible to actually go do your job, see the results, get the feedback, and it, there's a, there's immense job satisfaction in there. And yeah. you know. I mightn't be, might be a surgeon, I mightn't be a doctor, I might be saving lives, but you know, you're adding value to people's lives, you're making them smile. <laughs> and what do you think as really, you know, I'm going to say the king of hospitality, for lack of a better term, but what role do you see hospitality playing in the wider fabric of society? Uh, first of all, my wife says to me, that, that I'm quite right, that um, instead of the French thinking of national service or or a sort of old right-wing clique, in, in uh, the UK, talking about national service, it should be compulsory. You work in the hospitality industry because you get... To, I think so. <laughs> you, know, you get to meet so many people and you see so many aspects of life and you learn to be civil and polite to people and you you have an understanding. So that, that's the first thing. But hospitality, I mean, if you can... If you can you know, whether it's a pub, a restaurant, hotel, coffee shop, you know, if if you can get that right, you're, you're setting a stage for people to live their lives. So, you know, people can meet, uh, people can have an enjoyable time. It helps people, you know, people talk to people. It, you know, the, more and more people are stuck on phones or at computers. And um, I think there's a, a generation coming up now who, while will obviously be incredibly tech savvy, they're all the evidence point that they actually like face to face. So I think that we're able to do that, and that's that to me is important. Yeah, this is completely off the cuff. Well, I, oh, for, just sorry, sorry one other thing. Just I mean, I was speaking to the, the one of the bosses of um, one of the biggest set the biggest law firm probably the biggest law firm in the world and they said that why they decided 
to come to Belfast. There were some grants, but they could have grant could have got uh, heavier grants uh, in other places. It was the nightlife that attracted them to Belfast. They thought Belfast was not only a safe city, but was a city where people could enjoy themselves. And they, he felt that Belfast didn't sing its own song loud enough. That's interesting because, um, as Cindy, before we started recording, I lived in the States for a while. I know you did as well. And quite frequently, me and my wife, we host people from America or host people from Germany or host people from here, there and everywhere. And the one thing that people say when they come here is they always comment on just how welcoming people are and how it seems to be a very conversational city. Mm-hmm. So they're walking down the street, they're maybe in line waiting for a sandwich or something, and the people next to them are talking to them. And for some um, people from overseas, that's just a foreign experience. And so do you think that Northern Ireland has actually been a really fantastic place for you to dig your roots into because we are such a social culture? Well, I'm from Belfast, so um, I've lived away, but I love Belfast. I owe Belfast a great deal. I owe the people from Belfast a great deal. I owe the people from Northern Ireland a great deal. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, when when you get, um, you know, our, I, I think the whole hospitality industry, the pub, pub environment particularly, thrives on people talking to people, people meeting people, and having... Um, a, a population who love to talk is certainly not a disadvantage. Yeah, I imagine. I mean, the amount of tourists, I remember an American said to me, you can't even go in the toilet without the person standing beside you having a, <laughs> a talk. You know, he found it, um, you know, endearing. Yeah, absolutely. And again, something that I thought was interesting and enough note in listening to the Barry Phillips podcast was the fact that you particularly at the start, you mentioned earlier on that you hate KPIs, okay? Yeah. And do you ever find that there's tension between your gut feeling and this new way of business that is very data, research, analytic orientated? I Look, I'm, I'm not a Luddite. So, I mean, it was... What's a Luddite? I have no idea uh, what that uh, is, sorry. Uh, you know, someone who has a, a fear of machines. It was a, yeah, yeah. It was a movement that uh, smashed up the first nice. printing presses and that, that sort of stuff. But I... I So, I understand progress. And it, it, it was maybe... seems like a lifetime ago that my, my sons and, and my wife said, we're getting away from all forms of paper advertising. No more flyers, no more newspaper. Social media is the way to go. And when they explained to me that people would be, um, you know, not only um, responsive to all forms of social media, but would be checking in to, I, I thought this is insane. Yeah. Who in the name of God would want to do this? But that's the way they go. So I, I, I understand we've we've got to move on. But the culture, I have tried to bring a culture inside this company that is reflective of how I started. And that was simply that, you know, you treat people fairly. If there's a problem, I would, you would be in big trouble if you tried to sort out a problem by emails in my company. Oh, yeah? So you absolutely have to do face-to-face. So we, we I think there's a blend. And it, it's very important that we 
don't lose that personal touch. You, that you, you know, you, you, you sit in front of the person who, and and you, you're persuasive. It's interesting, and just from hearing you speak, and from what I know about you, it seems to be that really at the core of all of these incredible establishments that you guys have made is team, and it is people, and probably a lot of the success you've had has, has actually been the people that you've kept with you as you go through your journey. I suppose a question that I would love to ask and love to explore with you is, is there any advice that you would give to someone who's starting out and who's just maybe starting to build a staff team of how you can bring other people with you on a journey and actually mm-hmm. make it worthwhile for them as well? Yeah. Well, if you bring bringing people on a journey, I think it's very important that that person who is trying to bring people is comp- honest and um, is not trying to put forward a view of what a business person should be. That's a lot of bollocks, all that. People people see through it. And I think that when you're with people, when you have people work for you and you want to keep them working, there's, there's two things that I think that, that they should absolutely have. One of them is respect and that has to be earned. And the other is to educate I, you know, and within our company, we tried and we put more into uh, training than than other companies, and hopefully it shows. And when when um, you know, so if you come to me and you want to be a kitchen porter all your life, we will give you the absolutely the same respect as a manager. But if you want to to try to attain promotion. And you, we know that we can educate you and help you in this, even though the, there are the dangers are that you will leave us. We absolutely do that. So, for instance, turnovers, what the company makes, we don't hide from anybody. They are part of that team. So people in, in, in business, particularly smaller businesses, tend to keep that all as, as something, you know, dark and... That, that they don't need to know. We, yeah, hide it. <laughs> we, we absolutely teach people. We teach people about profit and loss. We teach people about wage percentage. And that has helped people stay with us. Um, so I think respect and education is a big thing. And honesty of the person. You can't, it's, it's simple. and it may, Maybe a little bit old fashioned, but, but I really believe in that. Yeah, and... Do you know up roughly off the top of your head how many people Bianca employs? I think we employ about 900 full-time. Wow. And um, we're then, because we have so many pubs that people uh, rent off us, um, we are have a responsibility them, so it's probably about the same again. Crazy. Mm-hmm. And so how do you maintain the healthy company culture and values across such a, a large team? Because we have... We, we, the, what I've just outlined to you, um, we we adopt that in every pub, in every restaurant. So every place is standalone. The education is the same and all. The meetings are the same and all. And, uh, and so it doesn't matter if you have one place or a hundred places. That culture should remain the same throughout. And I'm going to approach this question and feel free to, we can pass over it if, if that's what you would prefer to do. I'm interested in knowing from a family perspective, from a team perspective, from an employee perspective, how do you as effectively the captain of the ship, 
how do you maintain positivity? How do you maintain loyalty? How do you maintain a culture of unity as you're sailing through very, very difficult times, whether it's financial, you know, problems, you know, we've had as a kind of the last 20, 30 years, there's been financial ups and downs. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've had personal ups and downs. Mm -hmm. How do you keep going through all that and keep everybody kind of intact? Well, if you're talking about, uh, you know, the the various businesses we have, it's really important that you choose the right manager who understands the culture, the, the the brief conversation that I've had with you is not any different that I would have a man, a manager. So it's it's very important they're respectful people that work for them. It's important that they understand how to run a business, and so that really takes care of 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 the business. It's not complicated. You just have to get out there and and do it. I had, I've never had a plan. Right, the five-year plan, really? five-year plan, the three-year plan, the twenty-five-year plan—it doesn't come into my head. The first pub that I owned—that was my ambition. I thought I'm absolutely hopeless being employed by others. I was hopeless at school. I didn't even like the catering college. I've got to be my own boss. And then what happened was I started to see opportunities, things that I could do better, pubs that I could improve on. And then I took over another one and I brought people with me and then I decided to take over another one and it was it was simple. It's 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 been a progress of always never entering into any field that you don't think you can do better than the opposition. So that that's simple. On the family side, right, we 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 have I, I work really closely with my, my my two sons. I have my my niece is my operation director. My wife is a marketing director. My ex-wife works. We all work together. Wow. But there's we have this one simple philosophy. We The business is more important than the family. And I need to qualify that. That we love each other. That's taken for granted. We will always look after each other. We will always do our best to be as honest as we can. But if we don't have a strong business, we can't look after that person who may fall out of line. So we, we've we've always kept that. And my you know, anyone who works for this company is from from the family, has to be as good, in fact better, work longer hours. But and it hasn't happened, nobody has fallen out of line, but but that's that's the the sort of um motto we go with. The business is more important because when we have a strong business, we can look after people. That's fascinating. Do you ever have a hard time? I didn't realize so much your family was involved in the business. You know, what's it like whenever you guys go home or go on holidays? Do you find it hard not to detach from work, or is just is 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 work your life and you enjoy that, and that's something that that, that that's just the way you want it yeah, to be? Yeah, it, it is hard. I have to say that it, it is hard. Um, we we tend to judge everywhere and saying Look, that's better than when than we're doing or yeah we you know we would do this better but eventually we you know we we do switch off um i was in london last week looking at a couple of opportunities and we then had a night by ourselves but my blinking wife was on that phone of hers the whole time <laughs> 
answering this email and that email. So, yeah, you positively have to switch off. But I want to make it clear that uh, I am not someone who's going to be rattling around here if I live long enough to hit, you know, some grand age. I'm far more interested than just business. I I went to a technical college that didn't teach uh, music, art, or history. Just that wasn't you. Were, you went there to become a plumber or a bricklayer, draftsman, and I hated all those things. They're the three things that I'm really interested in. So I I am not one dimensional. So um, ultimately, I'll step back from the business and pursue other interests. I mean, what currently are some interests that are. Uh, catching your eye or catching your attention outside of business? Outside the business. Well, look, I have the same interest that I've had, you know, 60 odd years ago. I, I still love football. I play, fo- yeah. I play football a lot. Um, I, last week, and um, we went, we went to the Frida Kahlo exhibition in the, awesome. v- in the VNA, which, which was amazing. I love all forms of tra- traditional music. Uh, I really enjoy jazz and, you know, Brilliant. and the older I get, the more I like it. And, um, you know, even though we have some of the worst politicians in the world, the world, <laughs> the world of politics does interest me. So interesting. obviously the horrors of Brexit takes up a lot of our time. Yeah. I'm going to avoid the Brexit conversation because I would much rather talk about jazz. Right. Um, so me personally, the f- my favorite place my favorite kind of crown jewel that you have under the bianca umbrella is birch jazz yeah. bar and i don't know why i when i was in school i loved the great gatsby and that whole 1920s mm-hmm. sort of style and then i got interested in a whole bunch of other 1920s writers and i've always been really really keenly obsessed with that and it was actually um we were googling one day when we were around 17 for someone that played jazz in belfast and we came across this place called Birch Jazz Bar and we were like, what is this? What is this? And we looked at the prices and for a 17 year old, you know, living in Lisbon, mm-hmm. we were like, oh, how are we ever, what, what's going to happen? How are we ever going to get there? But we all kind of made an agreement. We all, um, we all pitched in and we all went for this night out in Birch Jazz Bar for uh, a birthday. And it was one of the most memorable nights of my teenage years. We all kind of got suited and booted and we all went in. It was incredible. And to this day, if there's any kind of big celebration, if there's an anniversary, me and my wife, the first place we want to go to is Burt's. And I just think that that place, it's its like stepping into a spaceship and going to either a different time or a different planet. And so I suppose I'm selfishly just going to ask a little bit about Burt's Jazz Bar and how mm-hmm. that came about and what the thought was behind that and maybe the process of putting something like that together. Yeah, well, Burt's is probably the thing I'm, one of the things I'm, most proud of. Um, there are only three jazz bars in the whole of the UK wow, and Ireland yeah. um, that has a seven night a week jazz bar. Two are in London. One is in Edinburgh, but it only goes five nights. Uh, Dublin doesn't have any at all. And we, in a city of 250,000 population, are able to run a jazz bar seven nights a week. Incredible. And on top of that, we play real jazz. Yeah. So we we obviously have to introduce some dinner jazz into it. It's it's inevitable. You get the the sort of Tony Bennett type stuff, but but really really good musicians. Now we we had to stick that out because Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday we were losing money, but we we were determined to keep it seven nights, and it's really paid off for us. But I was in in uh, uh, New York, and. Uh, 
we went to, you know, we used to go into the hotel and there's a, there was a jazz bar called Benhamans that Woody Allen used to play on on a, on a Sunday. We were, well, we went a few Sundays and never, never heard him play. Um, and we, I'm ashamed to say we copied that. Yeah. The, from, from the, the decor right through to the music style. But if it's not it, broke, don't fix it. It's not broke. Yeah. <laughs> also, I, I, I think that New York has a few more people live in it than Belfast. Yeah. But, you know, we, our ambitions were high and the people of the city didn't let us down. And they're, they're appreciative. There's you saying as a, as a teenager, you know, you, you, you got to love jazz and it, it sort of spans all age groups, jazz, jazz, uh, birds. So, yeah, yeah. New York was the, uh, where, where was where we really saw it and really opened my eyes to what a really good jazz bar could be. Yeah, that's awesome. No, I'm, I'm I'm glad I asked that question. Um, where do you like to go personally? I want I want to ask you. I want to give you the opportunity to talk about somewhere that's not yours. But yep. first of all, I, I would, would want to hear. You know, if you're going for a night out or you're going for an evening or whatever it is, where is it in the Bianca umbrella that you like to go? <laughs> Susan, I'm like asking, what's your favorite child? But <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it is a wee bit because uh, it it more depends on the mood. If um, there used to be a little barn banger we would go to for trad music, and now I, you know, we go to the Dirty Onion if we're feeling that way. Trad music. If if it's a dressy up, a dressy up affair. Uh, I would go every single Saturday night to Burt's, but my yeah. wife, but my wife would absolutely murder me. She's fed up with it. So it's you know there or we we would go to Bullet um, places we don't own. We you know we've tried uh, Ox. We've I've been to Michael Dean's places. I mean Belfast has got some really good restaurants. Yeah, um, and. You know, keep coming back to a city our size. We punch well above our weight. Yeah. But mainly, you know, my every other weekend I will get in the car and come up and visit maybe 10 places a night around, even though, you know, the managers are all highly competent to what they do. I like to get out on the street. You know, I think it's really important for anyone who's um and you know in a senior position within the hospital it, it's important that they get out on the street and, and feel what's happening yeah apart from that we we have regular haunts in in London that we would go to watch how trends are there's Paris again it's a good place France you know if you go to some of the the more glitzy places if you go down to Cannes, you know, you can you can feel trends that are either coming or are here. Again, you lived in New York. There's areas there that you just think, wow. And the good thing is Belfast has a level of sophistication that can take all those. Yeah, definitely. And what I really like about what you do is every single place is so different. Like there's a real different theme and creative direction and even, even decor to, you know, Looking in the, the the lobby of the Merchant Hotel here, it's so different to Bullet. Mm-hmm. And then we go across the street to the Dirty Onion and up into Yardbird, and it's it's completely different as well. You know, it's yeah, it's very diverse. And so, I have a question for you. But the first thing I'd like to say is Yardbird is somewhere that I absolutely love as well. And I work as a copywriter, which is basically just you know I come up with text for businesses. Yeah. And my favorite piece of copy 
in Northern Ireland is in Yardbird. And it's really simple. It's really, really, it's really silly, actually. But there is a, a beam that is somewhat low hanging. Mm-hmm. And if, for those of you who haven't been to Yardbird, it's, it's chicken. So the whole theme is chicken. Amazing kind of chicken burritos. Amazing chicken on the bone. Amazing whatever chicken you want. But there's this low hanging beam when you go upstairs. And it just says duck. And then in brackets it says, that's the only time you're going to hear that in this place. <laughs> yeah. And I love that. And I love the, the personality and the real attention to detail. It's in, in all, all the places in your portfolio. But I have been wondering, and I'd love to hear, is there ever any tension between the creativity and the profitability? Yes. A lot of the people I interview are artists. You know, they're people who are self-employed. They don't have a team. They're, they're kind of... they have a craft mm-hmm. and they do that craft and there's always this tension between making art and making money mm-hmm. and so i put that question to you and you said yes and so i'd love to hear so much more it's about a good that. question because um there absolutely is and what you've got to understand and what i took me a while to understand is that people are really passionate about the hospitality industry and we are what we want to do is give our customer the very best experience they can have. And we want them to walk out and say, that was amazing. And we had absolutely, it was value for money. And quite often what people in the hospitality, hospitality industry forget is that they actually need to make a profit. And this is something we've struggled with. Um, but, you know, we, we, we've grown. Then we got a finance director in. So we have a whole finance department now, which seems to have grown and grown. So there's always tension between the finance department and the operators. I imagine and, there is. And at boardroom level, it's 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 interesting, is the best way to put it. Um, because one side wants to absolutely deliver for the customers, and the other side are saying these this is the consequences if you go along that path. So yeah. There is tension and there's uh, healthy debates, um, vigorous debates, <laughs> uh, lively debates, yeah. which, which need, need to be had and passion on both sides. I, I always think that that's a good thing. And at the end of the day, you know, what we've got to be conscious of is we are passionate about delivering a goods a product at a price in an environment which says something about the customer. But we also have to understand that we need to make a profit. We have people who have, you know, mortgages to pay, have have their own lives to lead, and they come to work for us because they know they can we're not going to go broke. And so it's 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 a, a path between those and I think people who who and, and our business is a form of art you know absolutely need those disciplines yeah that's that's really really interesting and so what is the process of coming up with new ideas kind of in that vein of of balancing the art and the creativity with the the viability of of a financially successful business yeah well we 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 right at the moment um my sons have found a business in in london that they in in a in a re- former restaurant they that they feel that we should get into, and um, so I can explain that process. We we've looked at it. We we agree that this is the way forward. We then contacted the the people behind it. They've agreed 
to sit down with us. We're going to go through how much um, it'll cost to produce um, the, the the product. Then we 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 it's a bit of a finger in the air job. Um, we're going to estimate what our turnover should be, how much it'll cost us and staff to 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 bring the product to market, and can we find a site? And when all when there's alignment between all of those. Then we we take a deep breath and we go for it. Brilliant. Just to I mean I mean we do do a lot, but in the downturn, um, we not only managed here quietly, we managed for banks and quite a few different places and quite a few different cities. So I think you know we're 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 well respected. Yeah, you've got the business side locked on at this point. We, we and it's it's the business side is 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 the easier side. It, but what we have is we, we we have a passionate team who want to deliver different offerings, and that's that's something that gets you out of bed. That's brilliant. Um, this is really something silly again that I uh, just felt like I really wanted to mention. So I, I work with a guy called Mark Kelso, and we have been going back and forth for ages and just saying, you know what Belfast needs? Belfast really needs a good wing place. Uh, in the States, you know, people are wing crazy and mm-hmm. there's wing nights and da 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 da. And I was just thinking, I was like, you know what? Yardbird would be perfect. Like Wednesday wing nights. Like I don't want, I, I, as a consumer, like I'm hungry for wings. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in, uh, in Belfast, there's definitely opportunity for someone to come in and open a wing place. But again, I am the idea guy. I don't have the, the business head on my head to know, would this be commercially viable? Would this be? And something that I do know is that restaurants have, one of the highest success rates, or sorry, the highest failure, failure rates, rate. uh, in really across any industry. So, what is there any idea? Maybe you don't want to share your your gems, but is there any idea that you have really wanted to make happen, but had to say no because of the business? Yeah, I mean, we opened a patisserie. Um, it was decided at board room level, and I was the biggest. Um, advocate for it and um, I pushed ahead for it even though I was being given advice by my two sons and the finance director that this wouldn't work and I found this amazing French patisserie chef and, and we opened um, and we we produced fantastic breads pastries and it was a disaster. Where was it by the way? It was Mimi's and we opened it in High Street probably really? the wrong site, definitely the wrong site Um and I just think we were too ahead of the curve. And also I've discovered, because we, we have a business in France, that the French are prepared to go out in the morning and buy fresh bread and baguettes. And we still have this crap stuff that we take full of chemicals. And uh, even though you know, everybody agrees it's not good for you, um, we, we, we just couldn't get over it. So that was a case of an experienced operator Open a, opening a business in the wrong area, right product at the wrong time. Didn't work. Yeah. A question that I would love to know personally for me is you're, you're a man who you have your finger in lots of different pies. You know, you've got a big portfolio. And for me, I my passions are diverse. There's lots of different things that I like mm-hmm. to do. I like to podcast. I like to write. I have my own business. Any tips on how to juggle 
different projects? Yeah, look, I'll tell you, I, I don't have my fingers in a lot of pies. I have my finger in one pie with different flavors. Nice. That's it. I like it's, that. It's as simple as that. And I just keep those same simple, you know, and and now repeating myself, but the, the, the that same strategy, Joel, can we do better? Can we give better value? Will our product be better? Will it make money? It's 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 really simple. And then what you have to do, and you'll have come across this, there are so many people talk. I, I was at a lecture at um, Oxford over the summer and some really inspiring um, speakers, but one said this to me and or to the audience, and it sticks with me, that there are waves of opportunity passed by everywhere. It doesn't matter if you're a sheep herder in outer Mongolia. These waves will come past you. Yeah. Practically everybody get them. They think I could do this and I could do that and I you know and they talk about it and they fucking talk and talk and talk. There are very few people actually get out and do. Mm. So it's 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 having the courage to get out and do, step outside your comfort zone and if you're passionate and you follow those same simple uh, points that I put forward, you know, you can be better, you can deliver at a cost, you, you'll you give the customer satisfaction, you'll succeed, but you need to stop talking and step outside your comfort zone. That's fantastic. That's brilliant. Have you written that down anywhere? No. You should. Yeah. You absolutely should. So uh, starting to land the plane here and starting to wrap up, um, two questions to finish. Yeah. And one of them is, um, if you could take anyone from Northern Ireland dead or alive, mm-hmm. out for coffee or out for a cocktail, who would you take and why? I would take the leaders of our biggest political parties plus Jim Allister to a desert island and then I would take the boat quickly away from the desert island and leave them marooned. Nice. That's what I would do. There you go. Well, uh, if any of these people are listening, I highly suggest you do not accept an invitation yeah. from Bill Woolsey to yeah. go out. Um, interesting. interesting. Well, we have a country with a, a young, forward-looking population who no longer are prepared to follow two religious dominations and have that um, force them to vote for one party or the other. And we have no understanding or recognition by the political parties that we live in in a country that they should be supplying opportunities to, to our citizens. You mentioned earlier you have an interest in politics. Would you ever consider? No. Never? I, I Look, I work behind the scenes. I, I do work in prisons. I do work in schools, both you know, disadvantaged schools, grammar schools. And I think that's where my influences can be. The moment you raise your head above the parapet here, we we have come through 50 years of troubles. There's just people who do nothing nothing other than to want to knock you down. Yeah, absolutely. Sad but true. Absolutely. Final question, and this is probably my favourite question that I get to ask people, is very simply... Uh, let me ask you a question first. How old were you whenever you um, started printing? Uh, 16. 16, okay. So if you could take 16-year-old version of yourself out for a coffee and give him a good talking to, 
What mm-hmm. advice would you leave him with? Oh, God, that is a good question. I mean, I've made mistakes along the way with in business and with people, but they all seem to have come. I don't really regret any of them. I've learned from them or, um, or been educated by them. So, and I'm... My wife says on my gravestone, she's just going to say, here lies a man with remarkable impatience. <laughs> so I was going to, but it's that impatience has helped me get to where I am. I would, I would tell a 16-year-old Bill Woolsey not to stress as much. Yeah, solid. That, that, that's it. That, uh, you know, don't stress as much. It'll all come, it'll all work itself out eventually. Brilliant. Bill, thank you very, very much for taking the time. It's been a pleasure. Really appreciate it. Thanks very much. Absolutely amazing, amazing stuff. Just want to give a massive, massive thank you to Bill Woolsey for taking this time out to have this conversation with us and to share with us all, share with you guys what he's learned along the way. I know this was a very, very insightful conversation for me personally. And it's been one that I've been wanting to do for a very long time. I'm chuffed to pieces with everything that Bill shared and just how honest he was. And hopefully you have picked up something that is of benefit to you as well. Honestly, thank you very much for listening as well. If it is your first time, you can subscribe to receive future conversations like this just by subscribing wherever you're listening to, whether it's on our website, you can sign up for email updates, you got Spotify, you got Apple Podcasts, you got everywhere. Um, just click the subscribe button and these will be delivered to you as soon as they come out. The show is all about having really honest, in-depth conversations with local Northern Irish legends Why do we do this? We do this to celebrate Northern Ireland and celebrate Belfast and provide a platform to do that. So that's it. Whatever you have lined up for the rest of your day, I wish you all the very best. And again, thank you very much for tuning in. Cheers. Hi, I'm Rebecca, creative at Lines and Current, an online jewellery and accessories brand. And I live in East Belfast with my husband, John, who also works on our business with me and our three kids. I like listening to the Best of Belfast podcast because I really love to hear the nitty gritty stuff that comes with those types of unfiltered conversations that Matt has with his local guests. I'd say my favourite episode was probably that one with Grace Chambers, the 91-year-old parkrun record holder. I think for us... um, We really like what Matt is doing and we've loved supporting what he's doing. Um, He seems to just be shining a light on the Northern Irish people, community and exposing all those untold stories. So yeah, if you've been on the fence about joining the Producers Club and you'd miss Best of Belfast if it wasn't there, I recommend you consider joining today. You can do so over at bestofbelfast.org and I look forward to seeing you in the WhatsApp group soon.